Welcome to the Inside Digital Transformation Podcast. Inside Digital Transformation explores how organizations of every size and shape are using technology today to survive and thrive in the face of relentless change. If you are a business or technology leader charged with making the most of digital transformation in your organization, then this podcast is for you. And now here's your host, Alan Bernard, a technology journalist, editor, and copywriter who has been covering the intersection of business and technology for over two decades. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Gamma Force founder and CEO Warner Moore about how to effectively manage cyber risk when resources are limited. Warner and I discuss how to get the biggest bang for the bucks you do have by approaching cyber from a strategic risk assessment perspective first. What assets and data are high risk and which ones are not? How do you prioritize your spend based on those insights? What is an acceptable level of risk? And on down the list. Warner, thank you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. Sure thing. Absolutely. So today, obviously, we're going to get into how to be strategic with cybersecurity when resources are limited, right? It's kind of the big overarching topic. And then I, I got to thinking about it, and I'm like, and, and resources are always limited, right? I mean, that's just not a, regardless of the size of the organization, I guess, unless you're the Department of Defense or something, right? I mean, you have, you know, where your budget seemingly is unlimited. You know, everybody's up against resource limitations, right? Regardless of, of size. But I guess not everybody approaches those limitations in the same way. And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today is how do you, how do you make the most out of what you have, right? So what's the, what's the big approach that you need to take uh, in order to make that happen? And there's two ways to think about it, uh, any big problem, right? That's strategically and tactically. And it seems to me, and, and you can correct me here, that most companies today are still thinking tactically when it comes to cybersecurity, right? Uh, they're trying to solve it as a problem as opposed to seeing it, um, in a, say, as a posture, right? Uh, seeing it in terms of risk. Uh, and things like that. So, so let's start with that. Is that a correct observation on my part? Do you feel that's uh, how most companies are doing it today? I do. I, I think that's really a challenge in the profession as a whole. Uh, we have a, a lot of opportunity as CISOs, as security leaders and executives to help drive value in our businesses. At one point, security was buried in the technology organizations. And that's changed dramatically over the past five, 10 years, where we have chief information security officers reporting directly to the CEO, if not the board, dotted line to the board. Mm -hmm. And the role is getting elevated a lot more. And if we are uh, approaching that role as tactically as we have in the past, it is going to well be career limiting and, and success mm -hmm. limiting in it, our organizations. So I think we're positioned better than we ever had have been. I, as a mm -hmm. company, I, really a, a security strategy, it's all about risk. Uh, how? What is the business? What's our business model? Uh, can uh, security be a part of our service offering? If we're building technology products, do we have features in our technology products that are security related and provide value to our market? 
I, depending on our industry, um, maybe our market expects us to have a certain level of security capabilities. And if we don't, they won't buy our services. I, often, mm -hmm. uh, especially healthcare, healthcare, healthcare right. regulated. Yeah, great example uh, and, of that, right? Yeah, exactly right. If not only do our customers expect it, but we also have the business driver of compliance. If we're not mm -hmm. HIPAA compliant, we can't operate in them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's define, uh, let's contrast strategic, thinking about security strategically versus tactically. It's funny. I, I was just talking with a colleague last night and they are in a tactical role and I, I was providing advice and their security organization implemented web filtering and restricted their ability to for their employees to use websites. And he was building an exception process where if somebody needed to access a website, and, and just a very simple example is in, in their business operations, they need to access file sharing tools with their customers mm -hmm. uh, for sharing documents. So he was building this exception process where they had to create a form and a VP of security had to approve it if it was an exception. And there's already a high volume of requests because yeah, they just like, jammed this tech out. Right. And my first response was, well, why? Why do you do this? Who did it? I, I, I was looking for whether or not it was somebody in the organization who was executive, maybe more business centric in their thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I eventually got the answer that it was essentially the technology slash security leader who did so. And it sounded like arbitrarily. So there's a big mess in this company right now. And, and this tactician is implementing an exception process. And I'm like, well, maybe if it's a key part of the business, you should create a solution for that right. or just allow it. Uh, what data is involved? Uh, if this data that you want to protect so badly and the main way to protect it is a web filtering tool, shoot, you're focusing on the wrong thing. <laughs> it sounds pretty 19, you know, early 2000s. Honestly, it sounds like an old time solution to a modern problem, quite honestly. And we do this all the time, all the time. And it's a bad habit. Uh, creating friction in a company. Uh, it, just think of the administrative overhead, the OPEX, mm -hmm. the expense associated with those activities. This mm -hmm. exception process, creating hundreds of events that you have to staff and it slows down the uh, company's ability to do business. I have so many examples of that. And that's just a readily available example. And if we, the exception process itself creates all kinds of issues. Now you have a whole new process to manage, right? That's ridiculous. It's, it's, Why that's are we doing these things? So cybersecurity by exception is a, is a, a good example of bad tactics and bad strategy, it sounds like. Absolutely. And the okay. same could be said on the front line um, for um, a tech company uh, doing business to business uh, with mm -hmm. uh, incumbent industries, healthcare. It's so common in pre-sales processes for 
security tacticians to demand XYZ capabilities? Do you have DLP? Do you have endpoint protection? Well, maybe, maybe not. What data is involved? Half the time, it's not even uh, highly valuable data, mm-hmm. P- protected health information, PHI in the healthcare industry. And these tacticians are demanding their vendors do all these things. And really, the data doesn't even dictate it. So the overhead of simply having those conversations isn't adding value. It's slowing down the potential value that vendors bringing. And then the vendor or, or the company selling the service often doesn't know how to navigate it. So they're just going through this process. And I, I, I Put, putting the CISO hat on, you know, what do I want to do? I, I want to talk to the business stakeholder uh, before we get in that process so we can frame the work we're doing together in the right way and not just get caught up in these arbitrary processes. There's so many different angles on that same problem. Sounds like security by checkbox, right? Which is something we commonly do right now, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Again, we have we have multi-factor authentication. We're secure, right? Um, you know that that's that's zero trust. Oh, we must be secure, right? <laughs> um, so okay. So those are tactics. So let's contrast that then with thinking strategically. We work with, uh, and we're fortunate to do so. A lot of cloud native young companies, tech companies, and if you're doing something new, we don't have to solve the problems of yesteryear and coming back to risk and what's the data we want to protect the most concentrating our efforts there a cloud native company is probably not going to have internal infrastructure or corporate it at least not until later and arguably uh, they shouldn't uh, servers in their buildings right right and they often are going to use a lot of as-a-service solutions, software as a service, platform as a service, and infrastructure as a service. So a cloud-native tech company building tech product, uh, they're using uh, something like AWS. And the data Which we want to... comes with its own risks, right? So, I mean, just because you're using a SaaS provider, now you're at the mercy of their security infrastructure. And that's coming to point. The data we want to protect the most, and say a healthcare IT company, is PHI. We only handle that PHI in our production environment in AWS. So that's a tactic, right? But that Mm -hmm. also informs the strategy in the sense of the stuff we want to protect the most, we concentrate it in a single place, and then the business operations around it or lower risk. What are the other things? Well, financial data. Well, if we have good financial controls for a business, that's not going to be a high risk on the tech side. Uh, HR data. Well, that's not a highly valuable asset. Uh, Companies aren't going to have highly uh, skilled, well-funded threat actors or criminals are going after somebody's date of birth and home address, right? right? So we want to exercise due care, do the right thing, take care of that stuff. But our the highest value assets are tech platform and the data we're storing in it. So we 
concentrate all our controls in that place. We have all these fancy tools there where it makes sense and the stuff around it matters less. I don't care about web filtering. <laughs> right. Most of the folks I work, work with don't have it. They don't want it. Right. They, it doesn't make sense. So the challenge is with more established companies where, well, 20 years of history of doing the wrong things, but the same principles apply. What's security? Knowing what we have and paying attention to it. We talk about implementing fancy tools when our stuff isn't up to date. That's how the Equifax breach happened. Software mm -hmm. wasn't up to date. Yeah, an if Apache web server. If we're, right. Yeah, exactly, Apache Spark. So if we're not, if we're implementing all these tools and we're not keeping our stuff up to date, we're focusing on the wrong things. So how do you decide what those things are? Depends on the company. Risk, I think of in the terms of a formula. You have to have an asset, something of value, a vulnerability in it, such as software that's not up to date and a threat, meaning somebody who wants to steal that asset. If you don't have those three things together, you don't have a risk. Often the things we think of having risk don't. Yeah, most of the time we're trying to protect things that aren't even assets. That's the question I'm trying to really answer is how do you define those things, those three things to get to a, a point? Because I mean, in, in large organizations with hundreds of thousands of people, you know, they have risks everywhere, endpoints everywhere, they have uh, employees everywhere, they have insider threats, they have, you know, phishing, it just, you know, the list is endless and on the threats. So how do you get to a point where you can actually understand that landscape strategically and therefore make good tactical decisions about where to deploy your resources? Grounding in what the business is and what the services are and what the customers expect is a good way to set context. If we're focusing on a small part of the organization and that organization being affected doesn't affect our core business or they can be affected for a period of time. And risk, it's often qualitative, but we try and represent it as quantitative. So mm -hmm. I... Right. Don't go quantitative as frequently, but in a larger organization, I, I think there's more opportunity to do so because, uh, say, a, a business unit or a service being affected for an hour cost a million bucks, but the mitigation for it costs five million. Well, you can get it back up in less than an hour. Well, does it make sense to mitigate that? Probably mm -hmm. not. But if you have a data set that's regulated uh, where you have customer contracts where they're fines and you have your regulators that'll fine you, well, that changes the question, the equation. That, that number might not be a million dollars. It might be a lot more. Mm -hmm. Back at uh, cover my something we used to like to say is uh, a breach would be a company killer. And we truly believe that. And that's true with many organizations I work with. Uh, you can never get to 100%, right? Uh, in anything, right? So how do you 
calculate an acceptable amount of risk. And we've talked about it, I guess, so far uh, in, in roundabout ways. But is there is there a straight ahead way to say we're going to take this much risk on this? It's the executive right. team. who has ultimate accountability for uh, due care, doing the right thing in a company to the point of potentially going to jail for it and being criminally liable. It's the executive team. The risk level, what, what are you comfortable with? What am I comfortable with? It's different. I know plenty of organizations over the years who have said, you know what? If we have a breach, it's going to put us out of business. We need to focus on these business imperatives right now. We know it'll put us out of business, but we're going to build the business before we do these things. And that's Hmm. a pretty high risk tolerance, right? Right. There are others. uh, Publicly traded corporations tend to be less risk tolerant. For good reasons, right? We're talking about public assets, our our capital, and they're often essential to our economy. That risk tolerance tends to be lower. An executive team there uh, might be looking to the board. The board might be looking to industry peers, right? Is that the right thing? Is that the wrong thing? It's neutral, uh, but it's a very different situation. The accountability is the same, though. It's the executive team. It's the board. It's the owners of the company. And that risk tolerance is dependent on those individuals who are filling those roles. Interesting. Okay. All right. So what are the what are the tools today? What, what's a baseline that you have to have today in place as far as tools go to combat the most common threats? Multi-factor authentication, uh, encryption Mm -hmm. uh, at rest and in transit. Mm -hmm. These things used to be expensive and complicated. They're not anymore. They're often free and readily available. Just do it. What's one of the most common attacks? Phishing. Mm -hmm. Multi-factor authentication reduces that risk. Access control is always important. Big company, large company, are we only giving people access they need? Are we removing it when they don't need it? Are we removing it when they leave the company? (laughs) I big one. That's huge. It's so important. And it it doesn't have to be big or arduous or have a, a complex administrative process. There's lightweight versions, but every company should have a version of access control. How is access assigned, tracked, watched? Keeping stuff up to date. It's easy to put off. Management, right? There's no excuse. You can automate that. I mean, that should be automated today. Exactly. So those Um, are all. So so IT asset management, right? Yep. Um, What about things like lease privilege? That seems to me like a very good idea. That bakes into access control. I, I, I. It makes sense, right? Uh, Why would I, I don't. Oh, okay. I, you see, access control. I was thinking identity and access management, but you're you're taking that concept the next step up. Right? Yeah. Well, IAM is probably not going to even be on the short list from a tooling perspective. It, it, say it's a small company. I'm not going to come in and say we want to implement Okta or another tool like that. But there's a certain point of maturity where I will uh, say I, I 
small company startup. And, and I, I worked with the company over four years where we built the right program, a security and privacy program at the right time and evolved it over time. Mm-hmm. First year or two, we built that access control process. Uh, Google Workspaces uh, has some native uh, identity access management tooling. That's good enough. And then a certain point of maturity, we're like, okay, now the company's bigger, about 100 headcount. There's more complexity in the business. Let's actually get one of these bigger tools in place before the company gets too big and it becomes a unnecessarily complicated project. We can do it now, and the company's big enough, too, to justify that expense. But manual processes work just fine until that point. You know, I'm just wondering, are there any risk assessment frameworks um, that you can get from, like, NIST, for example? Uh, I know they have the cybersecurity framework. Would that be one of them that you could lean on uh, if you don't feel like you have already strong cybersecurity in place? Uh, Frameworks are great. Uh, The... They changed the name, but I still think of it as the CIS top 20. If you're building software, OWASP top 10, the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework, NIST CSF is a great one. I, I Those things are generally more tactical. They're mm-hmm. always valuable. You can decide, sure, I want to do these things, but should you? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, framing, stepping back, what's the business? Where's the risk? What creates value? Uh, that's where I always start. Mm-hmm. NIST uh, in these frameworks are, are great tools and often inform what an organization does. But if an organization has to be HIPAA compliant or PCI compliant or CMMC, going to focus there first over NIST, even though NIST might inform what we do. I love the NIST. Um, Password policy guideline. I, I've been writing more non-traditional password policies and had to defend them for a long time. And NIST finally updated the guideline, maybe close to a, a five-ish years ago. And it's great. Uh, so that if somebody's going to write a password policy, look at the guideline, use it. Uh, mm-hmm. Why why reinvent the wheel? Lots of great right. resources out there, and frameworks are part of it. Okay. All right. Um, what do you think about zero trust, both as an approach, as a philosophy, as a methodology? I mean, do you have a definition of it that you would be able to to roll out to somebody? Uh, it's kind of nebulous at the moment. It is. And we've, in a lot of ways, been talking about it, I, at least how I, I define it. I, like I said, I, I've been using those practices for a long time now. and. It's unfortunate when terms come out like that. It tends to be marketing driven and then companies want to differentiate how they're better <laughs> than the others uh, who are zero trust. So uh, we, we have a lot of things in the industry and a lot of the dialogue around zero trust is concentrating to identity and access management. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I simply Seems think like- of it as protecting the things we want to protect the most and keeping everything else out of the equation. Uh, I don't, in the ideal case, I I don't care about workstations. I I don't care about most corporate IT uh, assets. I don't care about email. 
because email can't be trusted. Why would we have right. the things we want to protect the most in email? Sure, put multi-factor authentication on email, but let's keep the stuff we want to protect the most out of it. So that cloud example I, I had earlier where we're building tech product and keeping all our data in our production tech platform. And the only way into it is via our control processes. And there's no assumption of trust with the workstation. I don't have point-to-point -point VPNs or uh, default access on a network layer into my production environment. Why? We, we focus on protecting things. Uh, what's the biggest risk in, in many cases? I, I'm generalizing the use of risk here, but um, mm -hmm. a user, a person, yeah. human error, yeah. We make mistakes, all of us do. Um, so take that out of the equation. I, I think the first security program I built using those principles was nearly 20 years ago, but it was a tech company. I didn't want to worry about workstations. So we protected our credit cards in our production environment and limited access to it. And workstations were less of a factor. So one of the the things that uh, makes this difficult, uh, you mentioned zero trust becomes a marketing term, right? Uh, our zero trust is better than their zero trust. Use our tools to achieve zero trust, right? Um, when it's really a philosophy, not a not a tools set, right? But what is the role of uh, cybersecurity vendors in making it more difficult for organizations to see the forest instead of the trees? Because, I mean, they're all selling trees. And cybersecurity is a, an issue with the forest, right? Um, do you have an opinion on that that you'd be willing to share? Security is a big market. Lots of people spending money on security. And so it's natural for companies to want to have a part of that market. I, I don't think of it as a security problem. I think of it as a tech problem. I, in the sense of we've been doing it in tech as long as I've been in tech, at least since it was commercialized, the early days of the internet were quite different. I hold my marketing team to account. I won't let them use fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I, I'm very sensitive to the things they do and the content they create. And if we as executive leaders um, are not sensitive to that and considering how we engage in the market, what value are we really creating? Sure, we get a piece of the pie, but do we want to be that? Maybe some people do. That's cool. But there are plenty of companies who are leaders in the industry, who employ leaders in their profession who uh, solve real problems and provide world-class solutions. And those companies I want to work with. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to work together uh, across the ecosystem to improve security in our organizations if we step back and think about it strategically. All right, well, I think, Warner, I think that's going to do it for me. But, you know, thank you. I, I really appreciate your time and your insights. Oh, been my pleasure, Alan. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I've enjoyed our conversation. If you like this episode, please tell your friends and check out our other shows. You can find Inside DT on all the major hosting platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Google. Talk to you soon. Bye.